0: along to the latest edition of the Forever Blue podcast, you're very welcome and I really do appreciate everybody who listens to the podcast, watches the Match Day vlogs that I do that are on YouTube or sends me a message on social media, usually via Twitter, I'm at Ian Cheeseman or some other form of social media like I'm on Instagram and Facebook and that sort of thing. I'm Ian Cheeseman, of course, and uh, so you're very welcome to to be listening. I have three guests with me ordinarily, tonight is no exception. Recording uh, on a Sunday evening UK time, Uh, we record about seven thirty usually, but we have a multinational guest list today. We have Tony who is uh, from the Manchester area, so he's on the same time zone as me. So he's <laughs> the one who looks the most awake today. <laughs> uh, we've also got Steve Kinsey, former City player, big, big blue, played for the club, um, but has Manchester City in his heart. And he's joining us from Florida, where it's half past two in the afternoon. Correct. Um, no no great sacrifice, you might say, although he's giving up his sunny afternoon in Florida. Um, but... Patrick Holly, who I've met a couple of times, who is an Australian City fan, and uh, you know, and he is very, very passionate. Well known among Blues at lots of different supporters' club branches around the world. Frankly, is is joining us from Australia, where it's four thirty in the morning. So, you've had about four hours sleep, Patrick. So well done for doing that and for joining us today. And it is a special day in Australia, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is, and thanks very much for having me on, mate. Um, yeah, certainly bright-eyed and bushy-tailed uh, for this uh, just, uh, god-awful time of the morning. But um, look, uh, I'm not uh, certainly not one of a very rare few that are up at this time of the morning um, here in Australia because today is uh, actually ANZAC Day, uh, which is our national uh, war memorial day. Basically, just to just to put it in in simple words, um, so quite a lot of people will be up right now doing the uh, the dawn service. Uh, today's a very Special day, of course. We do. We pay tribute to um, all our returned servicemen during the day. Um, everybody gets together. You know, it's a great day to be had and a great day to pay tribute to those that are currently serving and those who uh, have served um, both here in Australia and our uh, neighbours uh, from across the Tasman.
0: So you're not the only one up at four thirty in the morning, then. <laughs> well, no. Anyway, no. Do appreciate it. Um, (laughs) I just want to say as well, big shout out to the sponsors of this podcast, because without them, I wouldn't be doing a podcast. And they are Howard Solicitors who are based in Ashton and Stockport, which is, of course, in the Manchester area. They specialise in personal injury claims on a no-win, no-fee basis. So if you had an accident and it wasn't your fault, give them a shout. But honestly, these are real people. You know, this is not just some random solicitors that's contacted me and said we'd like to sponsor you. Um, you know, I've met them and I know what David, who is the one I most deal with, is like, and they really care about the local community. So, I'll just read something out there that sounds just it could be any solicitors, couldn't it? But these are proper, nice people who deal with ordinary people all the time and not just about making as much money as possible. So, I couldn't recommend them more highly. Uh, their number is 0161 872 and then all the nines, or you can email them at law or just law at howards so thanks very much to them for their support now City have had two victories in this last week the most recent of course being the 5-1 hammering of Watford uh, in midweek it was a 3-0 home victory against Brighton and coming up on Tuesday just two days from our recording will be um, semi-final of the Champions League against Real Madrid So I'm going to pick the bones out of all that lot, really. I'm assuming that uh, despite the time difference, Patrick and Steve will have been uh, glued to their TVs or certainly following uh, the action. Uh, Let me start, though, with uh, with a local man, Tony. What did you make of what you've seen in the last couple of days? Are you suitably enthused after the defeat just over a week ago at Wembley against Liverpool in the FA Cup semi-final?
2: I think what it was, Ian, uh, that I, I felt that we uh, what we did in them two games is we sort of um, kind of went into that kind of siege mentality and basically um, went in with a, with a game plan. And we kind of we've been in this situation before, so I think we're accustomed to this. And it felt very much that we, you know, against Brighton, although we didn't score till uh, later on, uh, we, we went sort of off right from the beginning. And we obviously did the same against their Watford. And I think we just get into that sort of momentum and that way of playing. Um, they just seem to know how to do that. And other than the odd personnel change, I, I think, you know, um City fans might have been worried about one or two of the results, but I think pretty much it was kind of what we expected. Um, so, uh, yeah, enthused, but kind of expected that we now go into this kind of, um, you know, five, six, six-game season. As it were now, and and, and focus on, on winning because ultimately, with Liverpool doing what they're doing, our our only job, I suppose, ultimately, is not look at their results, but just keep winning.
0: It seemed very relaxed in the stadium. What's it like watching from long distance, Patrick? At funny hours, I mean, are you relaxed when you watch City at the moment? I, you, you know, yesterday seemed a very relaxed performance against Watford.
1: There were times there where. Uh, you know, little periods of anxiety do tend to uh, creep in, um, certainly get um, memories of, uh, you know, the, the the back and forth that we had in 2018, 2019. Um, I certainly felt that way when we played against uh, Brighton midweek. Um, certainly the team did take their time, mm. uh, obviously, you know, to get the results and, um, uh, you know, and, and particularly with, um, you know, obviously the results against Liverpool last weekend, that did necessarily help as well too. But, you um, uh, certainly there was a lot of relief at the way we performed against Watford as well. Um, uh, from me personally and from a few of the guys that I spoke to here, they certainly said the way that, um, not only the way we played, but I think the way that Pep managed the team leading up to Real Madrid as well too, certainly felt us, uh, gave us a lot more uh, confidence uh, with the run-in for the rest of the league and also for the Champions League as well too. Um, I don't know if you felt the same way too, but there were times there against Watford on the weekend, it almost felt like, and not because it was sunshine and you know people are out, but it actually, felt like it was early in the season it felt like an early season fixture um so there was that that little period there where because it, f- it had a similar feel to it maybe that was um it took away a bit of the um a bit of the stress a bit of the anxiety from uh, from obviously uh needing to get a result and uh obviously what's to come over the next uh say five or six weeks
0: dave as an ex-player you do you watch the games differently than we watch them Um and- Pro- probably, uh, pro- probably not. No, you know,
3: I'm sat there because you know more than anything, you know, I was I was a fan, been a city fan all my life. So, you know, I look forward to him, look forward to the games. But obviously, a little bit, uh, you know, couple of butterflies as well, just seeing how we are going to start off. Just, uh, just getting back to the Liverpool game. You know, obviously, I was disappointed at that. Disappointed for all the fans that travel all the way down there, and then uh, you know to make that commitment. And I don't think. It, you know, he started the right team as well. The other thing that, which I never understand is like, when, you have a, when we have a corner against, there's so much zonal marking now. I still don't get that. And I don't care how many coaches you play, how many times they watch a game and they have all the coaching ba- badges. But to me, there's so much things like common sense. You can't have a five foot eight guy marking a six foot two, six foot three guy on the edge of the box because he's going to ragdoll him out of the way. Then he's going to have a run and jump on a centre half who's just standing on the six yard box. So, and that's how Liverpool scored the first goal. So, I think you put yourself in trouble from the start. But I see it time and time again where goals are scored like that. Just And it, and it all becomes from having a zone of defence. But managers, I feel like if some of the top managers do it, everybody else falls. But, um, you know, obviously it's, it's um, getting back onto, you know, the Watford game as well you know, we started so strong as well. And if you can score after three or four minutes, you know, it settles you down as well, you know. So then you tend to enjoy the game until somebody like Cancelo gets the ball and decides to run with it, overruns it. And then they further off to the races, you know, after whatever that was, 10 minute mark. And, and you know, the guy didn't even get a shot off. You know, great recovery tackle uh, from Zinniper. Uh, uh, Zinchenko, was it? Zinchenko, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, and actually, when they shown it again, when I, when I thought, what a fantastic tackle. But when they actually slowed it down, I don't even know if he got he actually got the ball. You know, so I thought we were quite lucky as well to get away with that one. But, uh, you know, when you score after three or four minutes, makes it a lot more easier, whether you're an ex-player or a fan watching the game. You can sit down and, and enjoy it a lot more than keep your fingers crossed then for the second oh,
0: Yeah. As we're sitting here now talking, Steve, um, I, I know that there's, a, you know, the, the next game is Leeds. It's talking about the, the Premier League title race specifically. And then there's four more games after that. And we saw that Liverpool beat Everton. Um, are you confident that, as Pep says, Liverpool are going to win all their games and it's all about whether City win these five games? And, and if that is the case... Do you see any of these games as potential banana skins, as we used to I,
3: say? I, I don't, actually. I think City will win all the games. I just don't think Liverpool will. You know, I think they'll have a tough game. I think their next games against Newcastle. I think they'll have a tough game there. And I also think against uh, Chelsea and Tottenham. So I think I think they have got a more difficult running. And uh, I'm actually not worrying about City, to tell you the truth. You know? So I'm pretty pretty confident that we'll, we'll get over the line. You know, and, and one thing about City as well, obviously Liverpool have got some cracking players as well up front. And, uh, you know, when you're creating chances, you've always got a chance of, of scoring goals. And one thing that I was happy with, with City's performance against Watford, you know, we did get some great crosses into the box. Because sometimes I always think we try and have that one, you know, look into yeah. that perfect goal. But, uh, you know, we were getting some great crosses in. And, it, you know, whether you just lash it across, but you get, like, the first goal, you know, he, the boy controls it and Chenko controls it well. And then he's not trying to pick Zeus out. He's just lashing it across. And uh, and it was a great first first touch finish. I mean, the second one from De Bruyne uh, for Azuz's second goal. I mean, unbelievable ball. And, uh, and it's a great finish with his head as well. But as long as you, you know, I'm always a lot more worried if, if
0: we weren't, you know, creating chances. I was very lucky yesterday because I was invited into the Citizens Lounge, Citizens Suite at City by Gary Owen, former City player. He has an ex-player, I'm sure at some point, Steve, if you've not already been his guest, you'll probably be his guest at some point. And you do a bit of a and a with the audience. And uh, and it's, I love that suite. It's probably my favourite suite in the ground in terms of, Food and where you sit in the stadium and all this sort of stuff. Um, one interesting conversation, though, that I had as I was sat with Kevin Parker, who's the general secretary of the Supporters Club, was he, he. We were watching Kevin De Bruyne flowing over the grass and being this gracious, majestic player that he is, and he said, "Is he? Is he better than Colin Bell now? I mean, you know, how would how would he compare with Colin Bell?" And mm. I and I said to him, well, the, "The difficulty of comparing the two is that." First of all, Kevin's in a much... That's not in any way to demean the team that Colin played in. But he's in a team now that dominates and is so much better than almost every single team that City play, which makes it slightly harder to judge. And they're playing on absolutely perfect pitches, uh, whereas Colin played on cloggy, heavy pitches. But Steve, just before... Um, we move on to other things. How would you, you you saw Colin Bell play? You know what what would your comparison be yes, between I did. Kevin I mean, and, and I mean, Colin? Obviously,
3: he, he is up there with him, isn't he? He is up there with him. I'm not saying, but you've hit the nail right on the head. I mean, you've got to look at the pictures now. What they play on, they talk about playing fit players being fitter now than they used to be. I'd actually have to question that because I was a fit lad myself, you know, and uh, and I know Colin was very fit as well. So. We were practising every day in that mud. And, uh, you know, and then you come to a game and you're still playing in it. And Colin Bell was playing in the middle of the park as well. I mean, if we had any grass, it was a bit wide on the right or wide on the left, but typically down that middle. I mean, and that's why the game's changed. I mean, we couldn't play football the way they play football. I'm not saying that we're not footballers and we couldn't do it. We could do it. But the pitch dictates a lot what you could do. That's why, you know, years ago, the game, the the, the midfield were, were missed out. The ball would it was like tennis just going over their heads because the field didn't, you know, didn't dictate to be able to play football. I mean, obviously, he's going to be in that question, is he as good as Colin Bell, but it's great to have him. It's great to have him as a, as a City fan, to have somebody like that with that class. And like he says, when you've got 75% of the ball every single game, you know it is easier as well with all those world-class players around you are you yeah. old I, enough mean, to see I mean i mean oh. i mean paul Colin he was coming to the end of his career and i played a couple of games with him in the reserves and testimonials Colin was playing with me Dearie me what chance
2: did he have <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tony, are you old enough to have seen Colin play
2: uh, To be honest i only i i, I remember uh, seeing when he actually came back from the injury so obviously i missed the the Martin Buchan injury that was, uh, but I remember making his uh, his his comeback um, in a game against Newcastle. If I'm not mistaken, uh, and basically all sides of the ground stood up and applauded him. Um, but you could see from that that he that he wasn't he wasn't the player that he was. Um, but it was just great to see him, um, albeit obviously at the end of his career, I suppose ultimately. Um, but yeah, what a fantastic player, and, and I think as Steve said. To have somebody like uh, KDB uh, and players alike like that in our team, in our squad, is just testament to where we are now. Rather than having sprinklings of of players, ultimately,
0: I've seen next season's kit, and I don't think I'll be saying too giving too much away by saying. That it is a tribute to Colin uh, next season. Um, right. Great, yep. so um so that's quite nice. I mean, Patrick, um, dare I ask it, whether you wouldn't have seen Colin play, would you? In his pomp, you're much too young.
1: No, no, mate. I came up in I came up I, the I glory
0: days. I thought you were talking
3: of, about me, then Ian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, Ian. I came up in the glory days of uh, players like Danny Teato and uh, Jason work <laughs> and um, Danny Allsop and. You know the days when when Australia was really on the map in terms of uh, in terms of city players
0: right. yeah absolutely I've had uh, danny um, Danny Teato on the podcast He's he's a, hmm. he's a very passionate man is he is he still a hero down under then
1: um I mean for those who were very passionate about the Australian football yes they were um you yeah, that was that was uh, borderline around the time of the golden generation when we had um you know great players like your Tim Cahills, your Harry Kules, your Mark verducers and that you know, there's, there's still, a, there's still a, a lot of people out there to this day that think that um, uh, Lucas Neal didn't foul. Uh, I think it was Luca Toni against Italy in the knockouts of the 2006 World Cup. And, you know, it's like, obviously, Italy went on to win that. So then that means that we should have won that. So, you know, just <laughs> um, it, we, we try to be optimistic as Australian, as, um, as Australian football supporters. But uh, at the same time, we also understand like where, where we stand on a global scale.
0: Give an idea, Patrick, of what, what the passion is like for City down under, because from a long distance, it's easy for us to just assume that because of City's success and the magnificent football, that it's catching the hearts of everybody. Is it, or are you just it sort of an enclave of, of City fans down there?
1: Football in general in Australia has always been, um, it's always been a minority sport. Um, I mean, it obviously really started to kick off in Australia post-war with the amount of... Um, immigrants that we had come from uh, from Europe uh, and for that reason um, I believe uh, football's always had a backseat to your rugby codes your Aussie rules as well too um, and not only that too uh, ever since basically since I think about the the the, the early early uh, late 19th and early 20th century the tribalism between states here so between Queensland New South Wales Victoria South Australia Western Australia the tribalism isn't just based on economy and, and way of life and things like that it's also based on your sport as well too And the fact of the matter is, is that every every state you go to, it's one can be rugby league, the next could be rugby, the next could be Aussie rules. Football is always going to be a minority sport there as well too, and I think that's also exacerbated by the fact that um, a lot of uh, football fans in Australia that support all European teams are obviously up at god awful you know times of the um times of the night as well too, so. Um, we're always uh, we're always behind the eight ball in terms of uh, supportership, supportership compared to the local codes or the more established codes as well too um, but one thing's for certain and I've certainly felt this uh, when I go to Manchester and when I have other fans who or other friends who are fans of other European clubs too is that they always receive strong appreciation from their local from that local supporter base too understanding one, you obviously geography is a big factor as well too but understanding just the time zones and and the fact that the time that we get up to watch our games as well, too, we certainly uh, do get um, a lot of credit. And people do praise us for, um, for doing that on a, on a weekly basis, or in some cases, obviously, doing it every three days.
0: I always think that I'm making a lot of sacrifices traveling all over the place. But I can't imagine how many air miles you've done because you know, I've seen you pop up at places when I've never expected <laughs> to see you there. You, you do get more yeah. games than you ought to, really, given where you live.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've, um, I've mentioned this um, previously, um, um, I think, um, on other, other podcasts and, and um, on our one as well, too, which I can obviously mention a bit later on. But um, I've, I've been very fortunate because for the last eight and a half years, I've worked for uh, Qantas, the Australia's national airline. So that certainly helps a lot uh, with being able to come over and uh, watch a lot of city matches as well, too um certainly besides the city match as well too i'd love to try and incorporate a little bit of a holiday a bit of travel uh, preferably when there's a european away day on but um uh yeah look i'm in a very lucky position a very privileged position to be able to do something like that too but i also um i also want to use like my experience uh, of traveling whether if, if it's not football related too but just to help young people out there if they're at a bit of a crossroads as to what they want to do when they come out of high school they don't, may not necessarily have to go straight into university or straight into a big job or, or start a career. They want to find a good job, work for an airline, something that gives them an opportunity to um, appreciate the job outside of work as much as they do inside of work. Then they can certainly use that to go and, and travel and, and do things that they're passionate about, that they love and, and things like that. And um, For me personally, obviously my passion is football. My passion is Manchester city. And, you know, I've, I've created a, a lifestyle and I've created a life for myself that is able to be able to do that and still go home and still, you know, you know, d- still be able to work and still be able to um, enjoy myself, and 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 you know, and just and just motivate myself to you know give myself drive to be able to come over and do trips again, and just continue. Uh, just just at the end of every trip, come back now and I say, I'm, I'm gonna, I know when I'm going to be back again, and and that's yeah, what that's what yeah. these last eight to ten years of, of in
0: this industry have given
1: me.
3: Well said, Pat. Good for you, sir. Well done. Good. Yeah, I love,
0: love your passion. It's good to good to hear from you. I, and while we're on the subject, then. Uh, wasn't necessarily what I was going to ask you next, but you've introduced me to the concept of what it must have been like down under while we were in the, the throes of the pandemic, because Australia was essentially cut off from the rest of the world. I mean, you, if you're working in an airline and you're a football fan who's used to traveling around, there were, must have been several issues that you were trying to negotiate.
1: Yes, there was a lot of issues. Um, I believe we locked the country down from around about St. Patrick's Day uh, 2020 and We didn't really open up for just general public travel until 8th of November, uh, 2021. The reason I remember that day is because it was my dad's 75th birthday. And uh, even then, he actually came to me, he came to me like the day before and he says, um, he says, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, I was going to do something for your birthday. He says, "Never mind that. You read this and said, oh, Trans-Pacific Travel is reopened for the Monday. So that was enough for me to go and book a flight and actually go over to New York for uh, for about two weeks. So... um, so, yeah, I certainly made the most of that, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty rough uh, 18 months, uh, you might want to put it. Um, from a personal standpoint, it was okay, in a way, for me, because my, um, I work in the regional uh, sector of, uh, of Qantas. So, our network is primarily based on flights that uh, operate within the state, the state of New South Wales. And the fact of the matter is, is and I give a lot of credit. I don't know how many people from regional New South Wales would be listening to this podcast, but um, I want to give a lot of credit to the regional towns because they, you know, had a lot of strong um, uh, procedures in place for isolation because you still would have had a lot of people returning from other holidays. Because a lot of the majority of people in those towns are from retired, you know, are retired and you know, um, finished just uh, general work and things like that. Um, so we still had a network to operate to. The other problem was, was that there wasn't enough demand to put us all on at the same time. So we were all constantly on furloughs, you know, several weeks on, several weeks off, several weeks on, several weeks off. Um, so it was a bit hard trying to find a balance between a regular working life and, and you know, trying to keep yourself occupied days on end at home. But um, you know, fortunately, we had the, the Premier League come back for a bit. Um, I certainly spent a lot of time. Uh, chatting over zoom and, and other forms of social media with other supporter clubs, not just in Australia, but around the world as well too. And um, just giving ourselves a, you know, a certain element of sanity basically. And what was uh, quite a chaotic and um, wild of, uh,
0: 18 months or so. Which is an in, leads me to an interesting subject, which I'll ask the other two as well in a second. But when we were in the, the midst of the, the biggest of the pandemic and the games were being played behind closed doors, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I didn't really engage like I would normally do. I hated watching the games in empty stadiums. I attended one or two, but most of them I was watching on TV like everybody else. And, and I, I just didn't feel the same way. Um, you know, I, I'm all about being in the stadium. I can't deny that. But even watching games remotely didn't feel the same. Didn't I, I? Just didn't have the same heart in it. Did it make any difference to you? And I don't ask that as a patronizing question because obviously you consume a lot of your football over the TV. But the fact that we were in this pandemic and it was and it was just a different circumstance did that matter to you, Patrick?
1: Um, from a public like face-to-face standpoint yes it did um there's quite a lot of our members who you know do rely not necessarily rely but they do appreciate um the social side of things uh for our supporter club um again it came back to uh con- keeping in touch with each other over social media or over you know zoom and, and skype and and other um other uh, streaming services out there um so we still were able to keep contact and still be able to keep uh, a little bit of a little bit of our sanity uh from that uh standpoint as well too the one thing i found that changed when we were finally able to to move out into into um uh, into the public a bit more and go to pubs and go to venues and watch uh, city matches was um i don't don't know if you noticed this too there were quite a lot of um kickoff times and 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 match day times that weren't necessarily part of the regular schedule um if i could use a really good example it was um last season when I think we played away at Fulham, that match ended up being on a Saturday night. I don't know if you remember, I think it was like 7 or 8 p.m. on a, on a Saturday night uh, over in the UK. So that would have been around about, say, six or seven o'clock in the morning uh, over here in Australia. And I, th- I remember just posting information out saying like, oh, look, we're, we're, we've got access to our pub. If anybody wants to come in uh, and anybody does want to come in, we'll go for breakfast in the city later on, you know, just because our pub is in downtown Sydney. Um, I ended up having about 25 to 30 of us actually turn up for a Sunday morning to come to the game because it was a combination of, it was not a bad kickoff time for us to all be together, but it was just that that feeling of relief where it's just like, I've been looking for an excuse to get out or of finding a way to get out of the house and, and just mingle with anybody. They're like we share our pub with uh, Liverpool fans and they would have said, we don't care if Liverpool were playing at the same time. It was just good to be out and actually socialising and just be face to face with a group of people after such a long time.
0: What's it yeah. like for you, Steve? I mean, you know, you're from our culture, ultimately, but you're over there. And not only, Patrick hasn't perhaps talked as much about the games just being in these shells of stadiums. Yes. You can talk about the socialising aspect, which Patrick has mentioned there, because you're a, you won't have a big group of City fans around you, or you can talk about how it felt watching games that were in silent stadiums.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, as, as an ex-player... The funny thing is, I mean, I think everybody's uh, Everybody's going to be different when it's me. I mean, I played in front of fifty thousand people, and I've played in front of you know one man and his dog watching. You know, my attitude was always, you know, as soon as I stepped over that white line, you know, I was going to give, I was going to play as hard as I possibly could, regardless whether there was people there. Is it better as as a player playing in front of fans? You better believe it. It's but at the same time, it it never, effect, it never affected me at all. I just wanted to go out and I wanted to go and play. And whether the manager even, whether the manager liked me or he didn't like me, I just wanted to go and play. You know, and you sort of like owe it to, to yourself, you know. I mean, you know, when I was making £16 pounds a week or whatever I was making, you know, it made no difference. I just wanted to go and play. So... It's just far better playing in front of fans. You know, when, whether you're getting booed or whether they, they're singing your name, it's just, it's just, it's far, it's just the best to run out there. And like I said, I'll, I'll never forget the times I ran out when it was, you know, playing that main role, and to just hear that, and and I used to look at the kickbacks, and I used to go, I used to be in there, I used to be there cheering for ear olds there, and that just the feeling was just the, an amazing feeling. But uh, but it's weird, though, because some teams actually did better with having no fans, yep. you know. That's that's the strange one. There was some teams that actually did better. So
0: you never
2: know. Just never know. How did it affect you, Tony? Well, I'd just like to sort of, from what Steve was saying, I, I thought that, that actually it benefited Man City because I think that because we have such uh, um, an organised approach, everybody knows their own roles and responsibilities and so on I think City performed better um, during that period and I think it, uh, to, to the extent that teams like Liverpool and and other that relied on the, the, the vociferous fans etc cetera, etc cetera, um, struggled uh, but I don't think Man City did um, and I think that was all about that kind of the way that they played and and so on and so on uh, and it's interesting as well Steve Um but um I, I I wonder as well, is that when you are playing, and I would echo that as well, but when you are playing, I think that you 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 unless unless you don't really want to, um, in terms of anything that's coming across negative. But I think if you're on your game, you don't really hear what's going on out there ultimately yeah. because you're so focused on you're so yeah, focused you're right. on, on what you're, you're right. doing. It's
3: crazy. Sometimes people say, yeah. Well, I couldn't believe it was raining. And I was like, it was raining. It's quite weird <laughs> that you said that. because that's that's how it was. Yeah. Believe me, I but funnily enough, I always heard the ones that were booing me. I always
2: heard that
0: because I it's something surely didn't different. happen, Steve. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's, some, it's something that's slightly different, though, isn't it, Steve? And I think that's what maybe you pick up. But general, the general kind of noise you, you probably wouldn't. Now, I was fortunate, um, to uh, back in the 80s. So, whilst we're talking about Australia and, and the likes, I played over in New Zealand in the 80s. So. Um, I played for a, a small team out there uh, for Masterton, which was just outside Wellington, and and although we were a, a sort of small suburban club, um, th- there was pressure on there coming from England to actually play in. Even though it was pretty much like you know one man and his dog, but there was an interest, I think, from the general population to come and see you. And after a while, once you got over that, I didn't really, I didn't really see, I didn't really see or hear. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a strange, it's a strange thing, really. Yeah, you just want to go and play. Hey, Pat,
3: Pat, I was um, you know, with you being in Australia, I remember I, I got picked to play in uh, 1981, I think it was, um, England under 20s, and we played in the, the Mini World Cup, and it was held in um, it was held in Australia as well. So um, okay. Uh, yeah, it was it was great, mate. Obviously before you were born, but it was uh, it was great. Great experience. What's
0: yeah. it, like no. down, <laughs> What's it like playing upside down, Steve. it like playing upside down because yeah. I mean, obviously, we've Always. had to turn Patrick's uh, pitch around, you know, because he's actually <laughs> upside down.
1: <laughs> yeah, how, how did you play with all the blood going to your head? How did what? How did you play with all the blood rushing to your head? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Piece of cake, mate. Piece of
0: cake.
3: Let's go back
0: to the football a little little bit, and and something that's quite topical at the moment is Gabriel Jesus scored four goals against Watford, and there have been links of him moving to Arsenal, Um, and it sounds to me as if Erling Haaland as a deal is all but done, and the only complication I can see of that not happening is Real Madrid appear also to be on the verge of getting Kylian Mbappé, And we keep hearing different versions of whether that deal's likely to happen. And if Mbappe doesn't go to Real Madrid, the theory is that then they'll go all in for Erling Haaland. But again, depending on who you believe in these rumours, it sounds like Erling Haaland's coming. So if Alvarez is coming next summer, which he will be, um, and Erling Haaland potentially, is there room for Gabriel Jesus? And would you, after watching his performance... Albeit against Watford, without being too insulting to Watford, but albeit against Watford, has Gabriel Jesus, whose goal scoring rate is phenomenal. Second only, I think, to Sergio Aguero at City. Is he, you know, one that to be gone? What, What would you do with that? Who wants to go on that one? Well, can I
1: just start by saying uh, maybe we should start putting uh, transfer rumours out for Gabriel Jesus every single week because then I think uh, if, if we keep it that way, you'll end up with the Ballon d'Or.
3: <laughs> Absolutely Very true. Way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I, I, think, I think, yeah, oh, sorry, I think sorry, particularly sorry. though. Uh, sorry, Patrick. Sorry, sorry. I think particularly with and, and what Patrick was saying there, I think that um, Jesus ultimately is kind of uh, regularly played second fiddle behind Aguero. Um, and as, and he's kind of aware of that. And he's a kind of also aware that he knows he needs to sort of keep fit, keep fresh and so on and so on. So he's kind of been used sort of spasmodically, you know, uh, often, but he never lets us down. Um, I, he never lets us down when he, when he comes on and plays. Um, and I think that was testament on um, Saturday because there are games when he has been trusted and obviously, you know, surprises when we played Liverpool at home, he, w- he was thrown in. Um, but, What an exceptional performance he put in there as well. But then he also knows that I'm probably not going to start the week after. So it must be a bit frustrating for that play. But I think certainly Jesus, from his point of view, I think he's used to that. Um, In terms of him leaving, I think the way that uh, Pep handled this, he kind of leaves it in the way that he's saying all the right things in terms of that. But he knows that if an offer comes in, and that player wants to go, then he won't stand in, there, stand in his way, and he's done that with a few players, because at the end of the day, if they don't want to play for the club, then then, then fine, they, they, they go elsewhere, and they go with his blessing, um, so there doesn't ever seem to be that kind of animosity when, when Pep loses a player, ultimately, and I think Jesus might be in that same um, same position.
0: Pep Guardiola was full of praise for him after the game, yeah. and he, was, he was talking about him as a human being, and yeah. how special he was, and everything like that, and uh, you know, you, you think if he's got that type of relationship with him and he was talking about, you know, if we had a problem at right back, I feel as if I could put Gabriel Jesus in at right back and he would unquestionably put a shift in for me. You need players like that in your club, don't you? Yeah, abs-
3: absolutely. Yeah. And and no question. I mean, he is a good player. But you're talking about Haaland or Zeus. I, I know I'd say you know, I mean, so. Is he going to be happy? I think he's going to actually end up playing less games. You know, because you've got... I think he'll end up being third choice out of the forwards. I mean... I think what City should have done... You know, I think we should have gone for Haaland and paid the £160 for him rather than waiting, you know, the other year. We should have spent that money on him instead of um, on Grealish. I still, to this day, can't understand why we got Grealish. You know, I can still think of four players who were better than him, who he already had. So, I
0: mean, even even against Watford, it's not like he had a good game neither. Somebody inside the club who, who spoke to me about it, and they brought the subjects up, not me, um, said that Grealish was signed because he's a, he's a bit of a poster boy. I didn't use that exact expression, but, you know, you see him turning up a, in Gucci gear and, uh, you know, and all the rest of it. And, and and the number of kids now at the Etihad who are walking around with Alice bands on and, you know, looking like him is is quite phenomenal, really. Um, that's quite a strong opinion. I mean, I, I do tend to agree with you, Steve. I don't know whether the other two will, but to me, Grealish... I know that the, that the thing that everybody says back to me whenever I have any criticism of him is, ah, well, it took Cancelo two seasons, it took Riyad Maras two seasons, it took rodriguez whatever, and Pep will get him right. So you can't really argue with that until after the second season. But certainly given what we've seen so far, um, I, I tend to agree with you, Steve. Patrick's jumping at the bit, I can see, literally. <laughs> Go on, Patrick, yeah, what do you want to say?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an it's an interesting one with Jack Realish. Um Personally, again, yeah, it, it comes down to that, I'll give him a season to bet him in. Um, and I try to, I, me personally, I try to be as tolerant as I can with every player, like give him, give him time, you know, because, um, you know, this is a different system. This is a different manager. This is a much different club to where they've come from. Um, the problem, the issue I have with Jack Realish, and I, I do hope we can see the best out of him, um, in the coming seasons, the only problem I have is, and I'm sure this we've we, yeah you've all probably spoken to so many people on match days about this, and you, you've got a player who's what about 25, 26, and a prime of career, who's always played, um, always played as the big dog, you know, the the, the the big man up, you know, big man up front, or the big man with the, you know, in the middle of the field for 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 an established club like Aston Villa. Um, you know, he's always given, you know, whenever he had the ball at his feet, he was given them a chance to run, 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 run. And he's been like that ever since, basically since he was a teenager, I think maybe even younger, to now come into this pep system where he's no longer, he's no longer the big, you know, the big man in the, in the team, uh, to now into a team where they basically pass opposition off the field. Um, to do this while you're in the prime or about to hit the prime of your career, you know, when you've been used to such a different system for so long, um, it's a very, very difficult, it's very, very difficult, I think, for him to adjust. Um, if he does adjust, I think that'll be just as great an achievement as, as it would be for Pep winning any sort of trophy, I think. Um, the other big problem, I too, is, is like, as we always say, and, and proof the proof's there, too, with so many different players where we give them a season to bet in. And normally, their second season, they start they, they hit the ground running. I think the biggest problem I have with Jack Realish is the World Cup in Qatar. Because if he does hit the ground running, he has a fantastic start to this 2022-2023 season. All that could be thrown out the door when he goes into Gareth. If he gets chosen to go to England and goes plays under Gareth Southgate's, um, you know, style of play for six weeks, and then he's meant to go hit the ground running again. I just think it could be a real momentum killer for him if we do see an improvement for him
2: next
0: season. What an interesting thought that is Tony. What what do you think of uh, Grealish?
2: Um, I mean, I echo um, uh, some of the things that Patrick said. I'm not quite um, against him, obviously, like like Steve is, and I do see. So I do see. The potential uh, of a play like that, and I still and I like the link that he's got up with Phil Foden. I like that sort of the way that he plays and the way that he can link up with players. I also yeah, think looks as at well them with,
0: in the nightclubs as well, don't he? Uh, well, Patrick, so, yeah, the two of but, Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: <laughs> But I also, I also think as well that I think the bigger picture is that I think that we may see somebody like Sterling disappearing, and I think that then opens doors for Grealish. Uh, I mean, certainly it'd be the choice that I would let go. As opposed to uh, Azuz, if we had to, or as opposed to Grealish, and I think that suddenly then opens an opportunity for them to for him to fit on that side. So I think there's method in there, um, and Pep seems to seems to work along that. So I wouldn't be surprised if we if we lose another player of the ilk of uh, a big star like Sterling, that then you think, well, the you know the, the piece of the jigsaw kind of fits in now because I can see where he's going to fit in. So that that would be my sort of my sort of take on it. I think in terms of the way that he, uh, that what he offers, um, quite right. That obviously in, in, in Villa he was he was basically the leader. He took everything on himself. He ran with the ball. I think he's improved now as a player. I can see that his, his close touches, his movement now. He, he's been told basically, yes, you can go and have a little run down the left hand side, make a little pass. But generally, it's why run with the ball when you when you can pass it. And I think his passing's improving. Um, so I think there's lots of different ways and I'm sure that he will come out of this um, a, a better player Well we've been talking I, like there about. I hope so. I
3: hope, uh, I hope I hope you're right there I, I just don't get all this he's, uh, you know, he's an English player and he needs time to adapt he needs a year to bed in I just don't get that at all look at the difference with the, the boy that Liverpool have signed, that DS he can't speak English He's just come in. He didn't. He didn't need any time to settle in. He's just hit the
2: road running. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I. just mean, Steve, that, that that we're asking really to play a different a different system. That that's what I'm saying in terms of him adapting. I think he's adapting. I think he's doing what he does. And he's got. We've got to accept that he's not going to be the same player that he was. To he, me, faced... he flatters.
3: He flatters to deceives. He gets the ball on the left, and he he looks like he's jinking. He's jinking. He's going to take somebody on. He's going to take somebody on, and he doesn't take anybody on. Then he just plays it back to Cancelo and then it starts again. So to me, he's not really, to me, he's not, he's not, to me, he's, he's he's done very little so far. I mean, obviously I want everybody to do well. If you play for City, I'm wishing people the best, yeah. you know, but it gets back to, I don't even know why we needed him.
0: Right, let me, let me move it up to, to now because it, it's interesting how this then, the Grealish debate moves into where we are right now. Um, when City played uh, before the uh, Liverpool semi final, i.e., the second leg of the Atletico Madrid game, um, Grealish didn't play. I mean, we can widen this out to not just Grealish, of course, uh, but when it came to the semi final, which was the game that now in retrospect that City lost that game to Liverpool, um, most Blues seem to be of the opinion of that was the least important game, and Pep was right to do what he did, which was to, um, you know, rest certain players and not make lots of substitutions because he was preparing for the return to league action against Brighton and Watford so we've now seen Grealish play against Watford, played 90 minutes I suspect he won't start now against Real Madrid um, which tells you what I I think, tells you what Pep's thinking right now, now maybe the second syndrome thing is another debate but right now, picking your strongest team, I'll bet you that, that Jack Grealish doesn't start. But I'll bet you Bernardo mm. Silva does, who was rested yesterday. Mm. I'll bet you Phil Foden does, who was rested yesterday. So that you, you can almost predict, not entirely, because he'll do something we're not expecting. And we know mm. that Cancelo's suspended. Mm. We know that Kyle Walker may still be not, not be fit. So that's a bit of a problem. Um, you know, we don't know what, whether Stones was okay or not, because obviously he didn't play. Mm. But you can, you know, what I'm saying is Grealish, doesn't at the moment figure in Pep's strongest eleven for these big games. So with yeah. that in mind, and given that the Real Madrid game is on Tuesday, A, how confident are you feeling? What sort of team is he going to pick? Um and, you know, well there's a whole lot of things there. There's home advantage first. Is that good? Is that bad? <laughs> I just wonder what your, your no. thoughts generally are on all that. Okay, first.
1: Do- um I feel very confident um, leading into this one. Um, I, I managed to, uh, over the last few days, I managed to watch a little bit of a replay of uh, Real Madrid's performances in the uh, quarterfinals against uh, Chelsea. And I've got to say, um, defensively, they certainly can be got at. And Chelsea definitely proved that as well, too. Um, so there's every every opportunity that I feel that we can certainly uh, bag a few goals against them. Saying that, too, uh, how deadly they are still against the count- on the counter-attack. You know, still got a fantastic midfield, even though it's a slightly ageing midfield. Players like your Modric, your Cruises, your Casemiro's, still very, um, still very deadly. Particularly on the break too, which is um, something where we're uh, well acquainted with. Certainly, when it comes to uh, teams getting upset against us, um, I think as long as we keep the possession-based football and we don't necessarily fall into a trap too much of Real Madrid trying to force us into long passes or, you know, uh, you know, too much pressure on the ball or you know, forcing too many turnovers. I can't see any reason why we shouldn't be able to get a comfortable result against uh, against Madrid. Uh, with all due respect to them, they're still a great team, still very formidable. I mean, credit to Karim Benzema. He is certainly well back the clock this season. He's been absolutely fantastic for Madrid. Um, but I feel very, very confident uh, in this one. Um, I'm not too concerned whether it's the away, whether we had the away fixture first or the home fixture first. I'm not too concerned about that. I think uh, we've proved in previous knockout rounds um I'm not saying uh, I'm going to say Atletico is an exception because that was just an absolute circus what happened in that quarterfinal. Uh, but I think uh, our proof, the, the proof's in the pudding that what we've done the last two seasons in knockout stages is we don't just go for the aggregate. We go for the win in every single leg. And uh, I feel confident we can certainly do that in uh, in both legs, both here in Madrid. Yeah, I think, I think you said, right. I
3: think you said it all, Pat, there. I think uh, I agree with you. <laughs> I, I think City will I think City'll beat him I'll go for two nothing at home. I think we'll yeah. uh, be comfortable winners i think we'll we'll show that possession what we can keep, and I think they'll just try and hit us on the counter you know i mean obviously yeah. i always like it when Walker's back there just because of his pace when teams are countering yeah. against so I like it when he's back there, but uh, you know i think we'll i think we'll be fine, not yeah. worrying about them at all.
2: Um, I, I I mean I agree with what you were saying before, Steve. Uh, uh, sorry, Ian. About regards to uh, some of them players come back. I expect Mares to come back in. Um, I don't expect Jesus to, to start because I don't I don't I think he will have that interchange in number nine and he will kill and move them. But I think it'll be very much played. I think with that kind of same uh, English type Premier League type game situation against Real Madrid, these guys have travelled from you know away from home. I know they're used to this travelling sort of thing, but let's get at them early enough. Let's get them one or two goals up. Regards to that, and I think that's how he will take that. I think when he goes away, like he did with Athletic or Madrid, I think he was quite clever and cute. The fact that, that 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 home team then needs to come out and play us, and I think that that suits us because we can, you know, we keep we keep hold possession and obviously we've, we we can counter attack as well. So I think, like Steve said, I, I expect at least a couple of goals uh, to be going over to Madrid with.
0: Sort of atmosphere do you expect it to be? Because earlier in this conversation in this podcast. Um you can almost say there was a backhanded, um, the opposite of a compliment towards City fans, because we were saying in behind closed doors, Liverpool lost something, you know, maybe United lost something. They both had horrendous home records, actually, in empty yeah. stadiums. And yeah. we, we were OK because we seem to be a, a very, very good team, but don't seem to have the same passion levels. Of supporters generally and I've noticed particularly at these European Champions League games um, I'm, I'm often on the third tier of the Colin Bell stand because I'm, I do some work for Sony TV in India so therefore I've got a camera in front of me a cameraman and I'm talking to the camera and broadcasting to India but when I'm not broadcasting I look around at that third tier and I certainly don't claim to know every City fan, don't get me wrong, but I look around, and I look at the people and I think I don't recognise Anybody, um, a lot of them look as if they've possibly never been to a game before, or and certainly yeah. don't seem very partisan. And that's probably the, the key bit really, that they they look as if their fans are there to enjoy the game, to, to lap up City's fantastic football, but uh, but are not, you know, bought into the sort of city tribalism, as it were. Right. Is that something, I mean, it's harder for you, Patrick and Steve, to comment on because you're, you're further afield, but is that is that a negative factor? I mean, you know, in these big games, semi-final at home, you've got to have that crowd right behind you, haven't you?
2: Yeah, and we feel that we have to generate that. I remember, I remember one game against Hamburg. I think that we, we created that kind of atmosphere. Uh, probably Steve will be able to um, tell me a bit more about this, but I don't think there's a better European night than somewhere like Liverpool and Manchester United in the heyday day as well. I just think we're not we're not there yet. We've, we, we can't um, find in our feet regards to that. But I think Liverpool and Manchester United, they make it a partisan sort of crowd uh, in games there and, and they become a fortress. I don't think we're quite there there yet. Personally? is that
0: simply is that simply a, a numbers thing Tony that that you know we're blues and we're we're proud of our club and we support our club but we have to admit that there are not the hundreds of thousands of supporters who desperately want to go to city yet maybe it'll come then there are to go to United or Liverpool or wherever so when people come and we fill the seats and we put the prices up as well don't we as a Another, club, yeah. you know that 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 you're attracting a I don't want to use the word tourist because that sounds unkind because you know the connotation of what that is. But more people, fo- um, football tourists, shall we call them, people yeah. who are who are coming along because they got oh, there's a big game in Manchester, Manchester City against Real Madrid. I want to see that. Who wouldn't? But if we had fifty-five thousand tribal, you know, in-your-face City fans, they wouldn't, they wouldn't get a ticket, would they? But no. and it was it would be that type of atmosphere that would be generated if we had. 55,000 passionate. Now, I'm the last person really to criticize that. So I'm not criticizing it. I'm throwing it out as a subject. I sit there practically silent watching games. You know, and you, you, if you were sat near me, you'd probably go, he, he's obviously not in. Yeah. What's he talking about? He does that podcast. He talks about atmosphere. You don't have any atmosphere. It doesn't generate. <laughs> I, I, have, I hold my hands up. I hold my That's just me. But I still enjoy. That yeah. tribalism and I, and I enjoy that noise, even if I'm not generating it, which makes me an hypocrite. But can you see the point I'm making about the type of crowd that we have?
2: Uh, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. And I, I'd like to hear Steve's thoughts on this as well, because obviously you'll have played in in some of these games where where you're going back to their home ground, whether it's a two leg game, and you can feel the difference from what from what from what your your side is uh, from what your home ground is. I mean, obviously back in then. Uh, them, Steve. I mean, obviously Liverpool again and Manchester United, were obviously the, the, the team's where yeah, they want to go. Yeah, the atmosphere,
3: but like you said, I mean, I noticed that the difference uh, from the Etihad to to, to Main Road, you yeah. know, I always said the atmosphere at Main Road was incredible, and I don't. And it's not there yet at the Etihad, is it? It's just not there right at this time. Whether it can get there, who knows? But I don't think it's, it's nowhere near as good as it was at, at, at Main Road.
0: Does that crowd make a difference to the players, Steve? Did does it? Did it make a difference to you when the crowd were cheering you on? Well, like I said to...
3: before, I mean, obviously, you much rather have the you know the fans that you know cheering for you and you can you know getting behind you as well. But you know, if if you're a good pro, you, you you're gonna play. You're gonna go out there and you're gonna play and give it everything that you've got. Yeah,
2: you know. But but you can feel an atmosphere, of Steve, can't you? Oh, when you go to the There's a it. difference. Yeah, there's yeah. a difference
3: there of atmosphere, isn't there? You yeah. Feel it—the
0: the roar and everything. Of course, you can feel it. Yeah. You watch Klopp today at Anfield, and he, and he's giving it all this. You know, get, trying to get the team going and yeah. everything, and and Peppers in the past been. I'd stop short of saying he was critical, but certainly, you know, was making it clear that he wanted more vociferous backing yeah, in yeah, these yeah. big games. So he values it, doesn't he? absolutely yeah yeah Patrick do you think it makes a difference
1: I think so I, I do um, but from previous um, uh, experiences both live and uh, also just watching on the TV because you can't tell the difference in the crowd on the TV just 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 that little bit extra when when the when the teams are playing but I always seem to find that city uh, city fans at the Etihad. It, it, the, the closest we have, they ever come to um, the sounds that you used to hear at main road. And that was one of the reasons that got me into being a city fan was um, years ago. I remember watching city at main, watching city on the TV at main road. This was back in the days where the TVs were this wide, but then they were even wider at the back. And I remember hearing the sound of like, Manelka um, scored the first goal of the last derby at main road and the speakers were all distorted and everything. I was just like, this is amazing. Like this, you know, this team hasn't won a trophy in 26 years and they, they scream like they just won the league, you know, like, yeah. That that sort of that's what resonated with me. And one thing I find is, and I think the reason for that is is again, it's like I think city fans are at their loudest when their backs are against the wall. And I know for a fact, like obviously that was back in the days where United was just dominating everything. It was our cup final. So it was always going to be backs against the wall. And the city fans were on it that day. Um, another example, as Tony, you mentioned the Hamburg game as well, too. We were, we were behind in that match on aggregate as well, too. And I think that was just a combination of, you know, city fans as well, too. It was almost like holiday football where it was like we would have been just as loud if we were away at Hamburg as well too because yeah, yeah. yes. we're in a new competition we weren't familiar with it and that was just it was just that combination of backs against the wall and on holiday as well too and if we go back to the last time when I really heard the city crowd be as loud as they they, they have in recent years was obviously the uh the Liverpool match back in January 2019 you know where we're trying to close the gap from you know seven points to four points or whatever it was and again it comes down to that if, if it's backs against the wall that's when I think City right, fans are at their point. loudest, and they actually come together. If yeah. if we were playing Real Madrid in the second leg at home, and we were three one down, I guarantee you it would be as loud as what it was in those two matches. To use it as, as an example,
3: Absolutely. Ian. Well, Ian, like I said, I mean, I was watching the Man City atletico Madrid game, and I said that's the best atmosphere I've ever heard on TV. And I don't know what it was like to you being there actually at the game, but I've sat in here in the living room, the the, You're talking the about the
0: game in Madrid. Madrid,
3: yeah,
0: yeah, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah their, their stadium is is superb. The acoustics are good, and their fans. I mean, they were some of the, the chants that they did. I didn't realise necessarily at the time, but were quite racist and and were weren't were were not, weren't nice. No. Um, however, uh, what you can't deny is that the volume was massive. The unison yeah. around the whole stadium was was huge, and yeah. I, I would put that in in uh, you know the top two or three. Atmospheres I felt anything uh, probably higher than I felt in this country, perhaps ra- apart from the Etihad on 2012 day or when Colin made his comeback at half time on Boxing Day yeah, in yeah, Newcastle, because yeah, yeah. th- those were yeah. two special moments. But um, yeah. as we're coming towards the end of this podcast now, uh, I know you, you mentioned a little bit earlier on, Patrick, that um, you do stuff yourself. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us what you do.
1: Um, oh in terms of uh, our podcast. Yeah, So uh, myself and uh, two of fellow Sydney Blues, uh, Danny Barrett and Jeff Sermay, I do believe they listen to uh, Forever Blue. Um, we decided uh, during like the last bits of lockdown last year to, to finally start um, start a podcast. Um, it's just uh, three lads you know on Zoom most days, uh, just chatting about all things city. Um We call ourselves the Early Burt podcast which uh, obviously makes sense because we are birds and we are up early at god-awful hours of the morning. And it's just it's um, it's just a, it's just an Aussie's perspective or an Australian City fan's perspective of uh, how we see City and how we see um, football in general. Um, we try to keep it light. We try to keep it fresh. Um, the language is obviously going to be a little bit, little bit more colourful uh, because we try to keep it um, almost in the same vibe as, like, as if we were actually at the pub at 3 o'clock in the morning with microphones in our hand, just commentating on the game. That's how we just want to keep it. We keep it light, we keep it fresh, uh, we keep it fun, and we don't take ourselves all seriously. Um, so, yeah, that's um, that's basically us. Um, you can catch us on, uh, I believe, it's Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Um, our apologies to anybody who has been listening. If anybody listens to this who has been listening to early but we haven't had a podcast for a few weeks because i've been away but uh we are planning on putting another one up in the next few hours actually um after this after this uh, show um yeah we're also on facebook at the early boat podcast as well too um and you can catch us on our um, social media pages uh for the sydney blues that's mcfc sydney on facebook and Blues as well too so if anybody wants to get involved or have a you know have a shout out or anything like that, we're more than happy to have everybody on and, and chew the fat about all things uh, all things Sky Blue.
0: Well, cool. It's, good. it's been an absolute joy to have you on the podcast, Patrick. Um, so we've met a few times in the past, and I don't know what a good sort you are, and um, how how you spread the word of City all over the globe, not just down under. So uh, keep it up, um, and it's great, great to chat to you. And I really appreciate you getting up so early uh, on a Monday morning for you, as we sit here on Thursday evening about to unwind with, you know, a cigar and slippers being in front of the, uh, the fire, you know, but... Um, You've got your day ahead of you. Steve, um, middle of the afternoon in in Florida, you could be out there sunbathing somewhere. You've chosen to spend it with us. I appreciate that as well. It's always great to chat to you, Steve.
3: Always a pleasure, Ian. You know what I think about you and how you're not involved with City in some way where you're not on their payroll. It amazes me.
0: Well, that's very kind of you to say, but um, as I said a few weeks ago to Craig Cash, I think I'm yesterday's man. Those days have gone, but you never know, I suppose. Um, just before I thank Tony, um, I just want to say a big thank you to Howard solicitors again. Mentioned them before. They have uh, offices throughout Greater Manchester and Cheshire. They specialise in areas of law that affect the individual. So it's likely that if you need some help or guidance or someone to help you, then they'll help you. Law at howardsolicitors.com or, or their phone number will be on the website as well, which is howardsolicitors.com. I've just said that Matrix had to get up early. Steve's had to sacrifice the son. For you, Tony, and me, uh, we've not had to sacrifice anything, have we? It's just a Sunday not evening for us, isn't it? No. It Always, joking a,
2: always ap- a pleasure and never a
0: chore. Yeah. <laughs> J- joking <laughs> apart, Tony, thanks very much for your time again. Really appreciate it. No problem. We'll all the, the podcast- best,
3: Steve. All the best, Patrick. Hey, thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, we'll Steve. The, Thanks, Tony. Uh, we'll do the Don't podcast, of course,
0: again next next week. Uh, we usually record, as I say, UK uh, Sunday evening. I do a match day vlog on YouTube. If you've never checked that out. Um, so have a look at it. Uh, just search YouTube, Ian Cheeseman or Everett Blue. I did one at the Watford game from the uh, from the Citizen Suite. Gary Owen holster me and everything. The 1894 suite for Brighton. Uh, for the game on Tuesday, I'll be there working for Indian TV, but I'll still do a match day vlog. So it's different every single time. You never know who I'm going to pump into. But one thing that's always the case, and one thing you must always remember, even if it's the only thing you remember at this podcast, It's great to be a Blue.